1: To the Dopey Show on radio from the Press Box it to Press Row. I am your host, it's Donald Ware. A whole lot, and I mean a whole lot, has happened since the 168 hours uh, last that I spoke with you. Uh, we got a whole lot to get to on today's program. I talked a lot about George Floyd and his murder on last week's program. Finally, and even at that time, none of the officers had been arrested. Finally, the officer who was on the neck, uh, who actually killed, uh, and all the officers are complicit, quite frankly, but the officer whose actions uh, led directly to the death of George Floyd uh, was finally uh, brought up on charges and uh, charged with, actually at that time, third-degree murder, and then on Wednesday, the other three officers were also charged, and uh, that officer's Third degree murder uh, was moved up to second degree murder, which carries uh, a sentence of 25 years. Um, But listen, uh, for that to even happen, look at everything that had to happen. Now, I'm not saying that protests across the country wouldn't have happened to begin with, because just like last week, I mean, I voiced it was just listen, you, you can. There's so many different people. Eric Garner. Uh, The list goes on and on in terms of black males, unarmed, murdered by the police. And let's not pretend that this is something that is more recent. I mean, let's look at the history of policing in America. You got it. Let's go back to the days of reconstruction or shortly thereafter. uh, Once the federal government, government union troops particularly left the South Jim Crow was implemented you then therefore had law enforcement uh, that a lot of times were involved with the KKK that a lot of times were involved with lynchings of black people so let's not pretend like this is something that is new and I'm not saying that we are I mean look at the look at any number of events that have happened over the course of time that you can directly point to uh, that you can look at the LA riots. In 1965, or the Watts riots, I should say, Uh, I I wouldn't even, you know, I mean, that's what it was called at that time. The Watts riots Uh, in 1965. You can look at Rodney King in 1991. Ultimately, the officers in the Rodney King case were acquitted. Then, therefore, you had the L.A. riots. And now, I mean, you've had, you know, you've had Ferguson. um, You've had Freddie Gray. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I think where we are now is really a transformational moment in our society, in the history of the United States. You have, you know, it's the 65 Watts riots, uh, things. uh, and And it's hard to say things began to change because to the point that was 1965 and that was 55 years ago. Yet we're still talking about the same things in terms of because. Really, what ultimately left uh, led to the Watts riots was was uh, was a, was, a, was a police misconduct. I mean, this I, I, and I, but I, again, I think this is more of a transform, uh, transformational uh, moment in our society. I think one in which now things will will begin to change. Sixty-five, I think, was one uh, the, the the Rodney King uh, uh, situation, the riots in L.A. Uh, was one Uh, and now I think ultimately Greg Floyd uh, is one as well for change not only with policing because that's been a problem I think it's going to continue to be a problem I think the way that you've seen police handle uh, some of the situations with respect to these protests and let's be clear these are protests first then you have um, some people that come out and destroy property, which I think is very, very unfortunate. But let's be clear, these, uh, most of these protests have been peaceful protests that have ultimately led to destruction of property, uh, which I think is certainly unfortunate. I think you have some people that have taken advantage of the situation. I think that you have some people that are really so enraged that their emotions take over and they destroy property. I really do believe that um, it, it's not right. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I gotta be honest with you, like, you know, I'm we're here in Raleigh. Um, Raleigh is not, it's not a major city. I mean, it's not a, it's not like a small city. I mean, I guess comparatively speaking uh, it is, but Raleigh's a pretty decent sized city and you know, I'm home on Saturday And I I turn on the local news and for three, four, five hours, nonstop coverage of the protests in Raleigh. Uh, There were protests in Durham. By the way, the protests in Durham, there was no violence. Uh, The protests in Raleigh became violent for a couple of nights as a matter of fact which I you know again I thought was extremely disappointing i but I even can go back uh, to Friday and Atlanta's a big city and w- when I saw uh, a lot of the destruction that I was seeing in Atlanta it was very you know I really felt my first instinct was boy there is a black mayor there in Atlanta okay and who Who's done a, a, a tremendous job, uh, you know, as far as I can tell. Keisha Lance Bottoms is a, a Florida a and graduate, by the way, a FAMU graduate, by the way. Has done a tremendous job there, and uh, I I thought she was right to absolutely come on and be highly upset uh, behind the destruction that she was seeing in her city. I thought that was disappointing. I think a lot of the 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 violence, uh, and, and more specifically the looting. Uh, definitely was disappointing. I thought what was even more the most disappointing thing, which I mean, I guess we shouldn't really be disappointed in, uh, is the situation that happened in Washington, D.C. on Monday uh, when uh, when Trump uh, had the streets, in essence, cleared so that he could go to St. John's Episcopal Church and uh, have, in essence, a photo op. And really, those police really that that was a peaceful protest we've had some things that you you know you've had some violent protest that was a peaceful or not i shouldn't say that you've had some violence at these peaceful protests and and but that was a peaceful protest no violence and then all of a sudden you know it reminded me of something that i would have seen back in the 60s during the civil rights movement so listen there's a whole lot to break down i you know i i i you know, I have I've had so many like I'm sure you have. I've had so many emotions this week because at the in 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 all of this, we are still. In a pandemic amongst all of this that is happening, we're still in a pandemic which is taking a backseat now. That is all in essence we've talked about since basically the beginning to middle of March was this pandemic and now that is sort of taking a back seat, but we still gotta be aware of this pandemic, and 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 this is still uh, what is dominated is dominating. I would say still the day from a health perspective, we have to still be aware that the coronavirus is still very much alive. It's not going anywhere. It's just that our minds have been taken off the coronavirus a little bit because of what is going on uh, in. Uh, more specifically, the United States, but really uh, around the world as it relates to George Floyd. So just so much to unpack today here on the program. And we're going to do that uh, in addition to talking about George Floyd, because I think the message part of the message has gotten lost behind the violence. The protests have been able to keep uh, George Floyd's name alive. Uh, you know, because even with respect to these protests, you're still Having police that are—I mean, look at look at Atlanta, and, and you look at the the student from Morehouse and the student um, from Spelman. Uh, the, the those students were tased by the police for no reason. The police, in a lot of respects, are out of control. You see those type of things that happen. You there was a some video footage in L.A. where some store owners were trying—I—I I, I don't remember—was store owners or just people of the community that were trying to protect some of the property in Los Angeles, three black folks got arrested who were trying to protect property. This is the problem with the police. And you wonder why people are so irate at the police. You can understand why people are so irate at the police. And of course you look at George Floyd, you can name so many other people that have died at the hands of The police black folks, folks of color that have died at the hands of police. And I'm not trying to hear about the white folks that have died at the hands of of police. No, 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 no. We don't want to hear about that. That's not what we're talking about. Um, We're talking about the black folks, because uh, just like Ice Cube said uh, a long time ago, he said a young brother, he used a different word. But a young brother got it bad because I'm brown at the end of the day. And I mean, that that, you know, that was from what some 32 years ago, 33 years ago now. And it is still prevalent. But I think hopefully I mean, I don't know. I mean, you you just hope that things will change. But uh, who really knows? So I want to continue to talk about George Floyd. I want to continue to talk about the protests. I want to continue to have a conversation, I think uncomfortable conversations are conversations that need to be had we ha- the thing about it here on from the press box to press row maybe not to the degree and we we don't you know we don't get into this is a talk show so let's be clear this is a talk show first and foremost it just so happens that we place a good a, a lot of what we talk about is sport More specifically, a lot of times, HBCU Sports. And then, of course, we do like to talk about the issues of the day and the happenings of today. This is a talk show first and foremost. And so we need to have these conversations. These are conversations that we've been needing to have because you, you look at these incidences, And we're having the conversations now because of these incidents as well. You know what? We need to have these conversations when these incidences don't happen. We need to have the conversations about racism in America going all the way back some 400 years. That's part of the way that you can heal and to have communities, non-black communities, specifically white communities, understand exactly what has happened to black folks For over 400 years, conversation needs to happen, and you can see why people are still protesting, still protesting to this day, and not going to stop, not going to stop until some of these conversations are had. We're going to talk more about George Floyd, more about a number of different topics On the other side of this break still to come here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Florida A&M leaving the MiAC to join the SWAC. I'll have some thoughts on that and more as From the Press Box to Press Row rolls on. On last week's From the
2: Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware.
1: SWAC Commissioner Dr. Charles McClelland, will collegiate football play in 2020. We
3: have a plan to start football on time all the way up into the third week of October, which will be our drop dead day. I anticipate sports happening. When it will start, I don't know. When it will end, I don't know. So we are far enough down the road to where we can test, we can isolate, we can do all of the things that we need to do as far as sanitizing and keeping our student athletes and our fans.
2: From the Press Box to Press Row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the Press Box to Press Row each week on your favorite station. You're listening to... From the
3: press
1: box to press row. Welcome back to from the press box to press row. Police brutality is now a formality They're kicking out and we're paying the salary. Want you to join in on the conversation? Hit me up via Twitter at box to row B O X T O R O W or on Facebook B O X. The number two R O W going to Gonna be talking. About George Floyd here on the program, still to come. Florida A and M, the board of trustees has voted unanimously to join the SWAC. Leave the Miac, join the SWAC. I'll have some thoughts on that as well. You know, very disappointed with the comments that Saints quarterback Drew Brees made earlier in the week. He's still, I mean, and this is this is sort of the 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 deal um, that people of black folks or or non-black folks and non-people of color don't understand. I mean, Drew Brees still talking about uh, representing the flag, Colin Kaepernick, that he'll always represent the flag. It's a disrespect to the military. And I'm going to tell you this. I mean, like I said in the beginning, when Colin Kaepernick first started kneeling, going back some almost four years ago, I mean that I you know th- that's not really and wasn't really my thing i mean i I know and 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 he was i mean he's right to um to do what he feels is best. I mean, I'm of a certain age, but you know what, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm glad he did what he did I, the thing about Colin Kaepernick that always kind of stuck with me and what I didn't like. And I think there's more than, I mean, it's more than just him kneeling as to why he's not in the national football league or why he never got that opportunity to be in the national football league. It's more than just his protest. But he said he knelt four years ago and we had a cop, literally kneel on George Floyd's neck and killed him. Literally. So, What or the message that Kaepernick was trying to convey definitely is resonating now. I think my only problem, real problem with Kaepernick is the fact that he said he didn't want to vote or he didn't believe in voting. And then that's, that's a no, no. I think the most important thing we can, you know, we, we can go out and protest and try to make our verses heard, but where you're really going to make a change is at the ballot box. And, I think his position was he doesn't really think and maybe a lot of other people think that voting doesn't really matter. It matters. It matters a whole lot. It mattered in the last presidential race. If, you know, more people had come out to vote that should have voted, maybe we wouldn't have had the uh, in excess of three years of the foolishness that we've had uh, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'll tell you that much right now. But voting is super important. But Drew Brees' comments, man, just out of bounds. Um, He tried to walk them back, tried to apologize. But I think once you put it out there, you've said what you actually mean. And that's the thing. He doesn't really, he doesn't, you know, it's not about the flag. Like the kneeling from Kaepernick, it's not, it wasn't about the flag. It wasn't about disrespect of the flag. And like a lot of people that I've seen on social media have pointed out, it's a lot of black folks that served in that have served that serve and have served in the military, work, going all the way back to the Revolutionary War. So it's not about disrespecting the flag. It's about the way that Kaepernick did it in terms of generating awareness to the inequities that are happening in the black and brown communities. And in this instance, more specifically, with respect to the police. And by the way, in a lot of places, the police still out of control. I mean, you know, I I don't you know, I hate to be the one to just blanket and say uh, it's all police because it's not all police. But it's a lot of police that still don't get it. I mean, still, even in the midst of all of this, still don't understand, which is why. We definitely need police reform. But you know what else we need? We need more than just police reform. We need reform as a whole in this society, in the United States of America. And it begins with having conversations. And I I tell you what, uh, the gentleman at uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C., is not helping the situation, has never helped the situation, not one iota. They wanted to impeach him for what happened in Syria? No, that ain't what you needed to impeach him on. There's so many other things. In in, in my opinion, divisiveness and the rhetoric that comes out of his mouth that divides this country, that, to me, is impeachable, okay, okay? But with that said, you know, there are so many things that need to be worked on. I mean, um, you know, there are so many inequities, so many opportunities that we as black folks have been denied. Um, You know, somebody pointed out something that I thought was really interesting. I had no idea that the GI Bill, which was uh, implemented uh, either I think maybe even right maybe during World War Two or right after World War Two it was I think it was actually during World War II where um, it, it enabled soldiers to come back and be able to uh, go to school and not just to go to school but the, the current GI Bill is mostly about being able to go to college but the former GI Bill was much more than that included a lot um, there were a lot or a lot that was in that GI bill that discriminated against black folks. I mean, uh, some of what was in the GI bill allowed to, uh, or, or was to help GIs or to help soldiers coming back from the war with housing. Well, guess what? It wasn't many places that we could go and live in the neighborhoods that we wanted to live in. So there's so many things and so many missed opportunities for us as black folks Over so many years, and guess what? It's still happening today. You know, there was an article that was in the news, and actually a column by Luke DeCock, who's been on this program um, before. It's been a while since we've had Luke on the program, but um, Luke DeCock is the columnist, the sports columnist for the News and Observer right here in Raleigh. And he did a column that came out on Thursday that, uh, in essence, in essence, uh, and I'm going to, in essence, what it said was the reason why Lavelle Moten isn't a coach in the, uh, the head coach, of course, of North Carolina Central, isn't the coach at an Atlantic Coast Conference or an ACC school is because he's black. And this is sort of the comparison he made. He did, it was a clever piece that he did. He, he, he had, it was, uh, it didn't say anything about Moten in maybe the first three uh, or four Paragraphs. Uh, It had a picture of Moten, but it didn't. It wasn't his name wasn't in the headline. He talked about um, a particular coach that uh, has had a lot of success at his institution. He talked about a particular coach um, that maybe uh, one of the knocks against this particular coach was that he recruited um, junior college transfer uh, players mostly, and also recruited. Division one players who would obviously have to, in most cases anyway, would have to sit out a year before they could come uh, and play unless they graduated from uh, the respective school. And then he said, Oh, you thought I was talking about uh, Lawrence Moten? No, I was talking about Steve Forbes, who's the new head coach at Wake Forest. And he compared what Moten had done with what Forbes had done as the head coach at East Tennessee State. And he said, The difference between the two coaches, Forbes is 55 and white and Moten is 45 and black. And see, there's a lot of opportunities out there that we have been passed over. I talked, what was it last week or a couple of weeks ago? uh, We talked about the change in the Rooney rule. But again, to me, a lot of that begins at the FBS level and the lack of black Uh, head coaches at the FBS level. So many opportunities, not just in sports, but in society as a whole, that black folks have been passed over for just simply because we are black. It is time for that type of of nonsense to stop. Also, I mean, there's so many different ways we can go with this. I mean, I think, you know, remember when I talked about uh, Steph Curry and he had started the tennis program And it and uh, we had reached out to try to get Stephen Curry as a guest on this show. And we went through his publicist um, uh, and the publicist uh, uh, did not uh, grant the request, uh, which, you know, I I went into a whole soliloquy. I'm not going to go back into that. But you know what? Even at the level of the representation of athletes and celebrities, We need to start thinking about having people that look like us represent us because then, therefore, we can tell our stories. A lot of times you'll try to, you know, you'll have these uh, celebrities or you'll have these. And I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of times you'll have uh, these celebrities, these athletes. You can't get a hold of them. They never speak to the black community. They never speak to the black community uh, a lot of times because their representative will not allow for them to speak to the black community. It's not all about mainstream audiences all the time. It's about sometimes it's about diverse audiences uh, as well. And so, you know, it's so many we can talk police reform, but there needs to be overall reform for the years of suffering of our people, in the United States of America going back uh, some 400 years. I love this country. I mean, I don't want I don't want to get it twisted. I don't want to, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here, but there's not a lot of equal opportunities, and I think that's part of the problem. Going to talk more about this again still to come here on the program. Going to talk Florida uh, A&M and its move to the SWAC from the MIAC. And lastly, by the way, before I go to break, we need to really start to support These black businesses as well. All, I mean, everyone needs to really start to support these black businesses. That's one. It's economics and the economic or the lack of economics in our community certainly is a hindrance and hurts as well. Support black businesses. Okay, support black businesses businesses that's one of the things that I think also needs to really be looked at as well I always in this show by saying and always remember to support those that support you I, I truly I truly 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 uh believe in that not just something I say to end the show it's something that I truly believe in so hopefully we'll see all of those things now really begin to manifest themselves join us back on the other side you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm
3: excited I get to play for. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're gonna be uh you know, they're gonna shoot for you as loud as they can no matter what you're playing.
1: I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams.
3: That
0: was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've was like that. You know, it's really focused, is really, you know,
1: excited. He's Chadwick Boseman, and he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. You are in fact a graduate. What do you remember? most about your days at Howard
2: Howard is like one of those experiences where (laughs) you know it's a it's a bubble you know it's a it's a special moment like I had some great teachers Felicia Rashad was one of my teachers you know I just remember being nurtured to
1: respect black writers Black directors, Black actors, as well as the classics. So you got the full scope of what you should experience. And I think that's unique to Howard. I just love the fact that they respected the full scope of it. Kiki Palmer joining us here on the program. I,
3: I've grown in a lot of different ways. I think I've definitely grown as far as my age progression. And that shows that I've literally grown, I guess, on screen. And people have seen me from, you know, a young kid to coming of age into an adult. And I feel like slowly but surely they're not taking that Aquila memory out their head, but realizing Aquila is also has you grown up. I don't ever want to be typecasted as just.
1: The girl. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college in Davidson. Uh, it's a
3: great story and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride.
1: That's the voice, of course, of T.I. it's some hard times down in the ATL, though, T.I. Nah, and if that is understood. It wouldn't
3: be the first. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be the first, nor the worst. But, you know, you got to stay
1: down with the whole thing, though. you know. No, nah, no question. I'm, I'm still, I'm still down down with the skins, man. What can I say? They're they're not doing too well right now.
3: Well, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? We gotta, hey, 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 look, man, we gotta, we gotta hold it down so we can, so we can get it back right again.
1: (laughs) That is the voice of Maria Taylor, ESPN college sports analyst. College Game Day is a show that I grew up watching, a a show that I've always loved. I knew that when I
3: was um, able to join, I was more than excited. I found out the same week as I turned thirty,
2: and it's just something that I never dreamed I would be a part of, but something that I'm so thankful to have under my
1: belt have done for an entire season. there's
0: nothing like it, honestly. Hello, I'm Stone and I'm here chatting to Donald on Thunder Press Box to press roll.
1: Kimber Walker.
3: There's a lot more poised now. You know, um, the game is slowed down. So, you not know, I kind of know what to expect. Now, I've been watching a lot of film on you know, our offense and, you know, what plays I can make. You know, I'm just trying to make the best plays possible. When I draw a second defender to me, um, I know my job is done. I just try my best to find an open guy. You know, the difference is guys are making shots. That's been the biggest difference.
1: I'm talking about none other than Common.
3: Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. And, I mean, I played high school basketball, but... At one point, my career kind of rounded off because I got injured and I wasn't getting as much playing time, so I became impatient. I went to school first starting off with general studies, then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. I got into the School of Business, and it was definitely a great learning experience for me.
1: She's regarded as the best gymnast in the world. She's Simone Biles, the ESPN swimsuit edition.
3: Actually really fun, like to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, i run the best. Shape of our life, we're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women like feel that being strong is still beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Mine was just like beauty, but also showing muscles. Like I feel like when little girls look at that, they'll think it's okay to have muscles and be beautiful and like sexy at the same time in a good manner and i think that's what we got across hopefully it was great
1: greatest football player to ever play jim brown Muhammad ali was a sensible person
3: in the country at the time and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because he was against his religion mm-hmm. all, all the top black athletes together along with carl stoke the first black mayor of a major city so I'm glad you brought that particular incident
1: up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh man,
3: thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. New football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown in Division
1: One. WWE champion Alexa Bliss. How does one go from being a cheerleader as you were at the Division One level at Akron to being the WWE champion?
3: <laughs> well, uh, after I appeared in Akron, my uh, trainer had told me that WWE was having a tryout, so, and they knew I was a fan. So I went online, and I submitted a video to WWE.com. Um, I didn't think anything would follow it, but then I was called and given a tryout. And then after I tried out, I was signed to NXT, and it just kind of became a roller coaster from there.
1: We're joined by the one and only Jerry Rice. What do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? What
3: is going on at Mississippi Valley State? State University. Why are these guys
0: putting up unbelievable numbers? And that brought awareness to the school. And after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49 Hey, everybody, what's going on?
3: This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star in front of mother. And you're listening. To from the press box to
2: press row from the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of hbcu sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment check the show out online at wwwbox that's
1: from the press box to press row real relevant radio we're back here on from the press box to press row talking george floyd Talking protests, talking police reform, talking civil, true civil rights and reform as a whole. And I was talking a little bit in that first segment about the protesters in Washington, D.C., who were removed. That was on Monday, who were removed in a show of force so that Trump uh, could basically get a photo op. Well, Black Lives Matter. Sues the Trump administration over the use of force, and see, this is where it's going to begin. These are the type of actions. Does could could Black Lives Matter win? I don't know. I I don't, I don't know. There are suits all the time against the federal government, against governors. I mean, that happens all the time. But I think more importantly, more importantly, it sends a message. Not to necessarily to the Trump administration, because listen, if you've been around for the last almost four years, the Trump administration hasn't listened to much as it relates to black folks. So, you know, let's be clear about that. But I think it sends a message as a whole that it is time for change in this country. And again, not just police reform, but change as a whole. And so we'll see how that ultimately plays out you know one of the things that really really pleases me when you look at a lot of these protests all over the country is that you see a lot of uh, a, a good mixture you got a lot of white folks that are out there as well as a matter of fact in some instances you have maybe even more white folks that are out there and that I think that's that I, I, that's good because that shows that um, a lot of the ways in which people have thought, particularly white folks, not as you know, you hate to blanket uh, people, some white folks over the years and how um, what the thoughts of uh, in terms of black folks is really beginning to change. And more specifically in young people, and it was and it's really good to see that. One of the things that I don't like, but I mean, it has to be and I, and you've, we've heard a lot of people come out and say, well, we need the white community to come out and we need the white you know, athletes and coaches and et cetera to come out and speak on behalf uh, of this movement, which I mean, is true. Unfortunately, that, and that's that's there in in part lies the problem because. We, as, you know, black folks aren't heard, aren't we're just and have not been heard. And, you know, but it's good to kind of see really a lot of our white brothers and sisters really kind of come out, coming out, not only speaking, but also being part of these various movements. I know that. And I'll tell you what, Dabo Sweeney, the coach at Clemson, I mean, he took a lot of heat this weekend, probably rightfully so, to be honest with you. Um, I had a chance to um, look at his. He was on a on a Zoom call with uh, reporters. Uh, well, it, it, actually, I just listened to the audio. I was actually sent the audio and listened to the audio, and he wouldn't address. Uh, he wouldn't ad- because at the end of the day, uh, Dabo Sweeney is perhaps the face, and when you talk about coaches, perhaps along with Nick Saban, the face. The face of college football. And there are a lot of expectations that come along with that. And he just wouldn't, you know, he, he was one that was against Kaepernick in his, his kneeling, uh, in protest of police brutality and the inequities in the black and brown community. And, you know, he just wouldn't, he, in that, and that's, you know, I guess if that's his prerogative, but you know, when you're out here recruiting and most of the players and most of the players are black players, that to me is definitely an issue. I've seen a lot where um, once again, the conversation, the topic of conversation comes up about top athletes, top high school athletes that are black going to HBCUs. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's something that I've been talking about, even going back to my days as a student at Morgan State University. I was talking about this and writing uh, about this. I don't know if that is going I don't I don't know if that's going to be something that comes out of this. I'm just not sure. I just, you know, I, you know, You you you, if one person that and I'm talking about top athletes, I mean, top notch and really more specifically, I think in in basketball, uh, we're seeing a lot of three star recruits, some four star recruits that go to HBCU. Sometimes it's not about the stars. You go into a program um, they administer to you. They pour into you. You come out of that out of that program. You may not have even been. You know a top recruited athlete, but you know a Titus out a Howard uh, with the Texans, who was a number one, a first round draft pick by the Texans out of Alabama State last year. You know he wasn't a guy that was highly recruited. Sometimes you know you get those guys um, that uh, just excel in various programs. I I would love to see top athletes go to our HBCUs. I think um, as we've talked about in, in in so many times, and it's obvious that. The the media will go where the athletes go, and I mean I think there's a lot of things that uh, you know uh, that our HBCUs uh, have to put in place as well. But I think you know we may be getting back. um, You know that's something that may happen. I don't know if it will, but hopefully, uh, out of all of this, that may be something that ultimately comes out of this. That a lot of What we're seeing, especially in young people, will understand the history of HBCUs, what HBCUs have meant and continue to mean to black people and will ultimately start to go to these schools. Where they go, the media will ultimately go. Your thoughts, because I want to switch gears uh, in the next segment, hit me up via Twitter at BoxThorow, B O X T O R O W, or on Facebook, B O X, the number two, R O W. Going to be talking Florida AM leaving the MIAC for the SWAC. Next.
2: On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware.
1: SWAC Commissioner Dr. Charles McClelland. Will collegiate football play? In two thousand twenty.
3: We have a plan to start football on time all the way up into the third week of October, which will be our drop down date. I anticipate sports happening. When it will start, I don't know when it will end. I don't know. We are far enough down the road to where we can test, we can isolate, we can do all of the things that we need to do as far as sanitizing and keeping our student athletes and our fans from the press box to press row
2: is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country join donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of hbcu sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures that's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station
0: Donald Ware, from the Press Box to Press Row.
1: We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. You can join us. Hit me up via Twitter at box row B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W, on my personal Twitter account at ware one at ware one or even on my personal Instagram account at Where Donald. So we've been talking about George Floyd. I want to switch gears and talk about Florida A&M and its move from the MEAC to the SWAC. The Florida A&M Board of Trustees voted unanimously, voted unanimously to join the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And so that will begin for the 2021-2022 season, just like a t if we had, you know, when and if we have uh, a season and more specific with respect to football the Rattlers will play out the MiAC season uh, in uh, in 2020 or will play in the MiAC in 2020 you know i, I when we talked about ANT and A&T leaving the conference i thought that this may be or A&T's move may be a move that will start a domino effect to other teams leaving the MiAC, and it's just right now there's not a lot of teams as a matter of fact that are in a position to really leave the MEAC ultimately what this is going to cost Florida AM, and even though they're going to do it the right way like ANT did it did it ultimately cost $250,000 to uh, to leave the MiAC to join another conference and so it's going to cost Florida a a little bit of money. It, it, to me, is you know the only other school I think, and I don't think Howard would leave the MEAC. I think Howard is uh, he's got a, a, a strong history. I mean, now I, 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 let me clarify and say I don't the, you know I, I just don't think Howard would leave the MEAC because Howard would not, in my opinion, would not join a non hbcu conference and the only other conference is the SWAC and i mean that's a lot of travel uh, when you're in washington dc and have to go now now with that being said the soccer team the women's soccer team is in the SWAC so, but I I don't think that the that Howard would do it. I think the only other team to me that's in position from a financial standpoint, at least right now, would be Morgan State. And from my understanding, there have been some talks of Morgan State. Uh, if Morgan were to leave the MEAC, and I'm not, I can't confirm if those talks suggest that Morgan is trying to leave the MEAC. What I can say is that if Morgan were to lead the, the MEAC, then there would be talk of Morgan possibly joining the NEC or the Northeast Conference, which from a geographical perspective makes sense. It's v- very much in, in what Florida A&M has pointed to. And it's, there's a lot of different factors here. And l- let me just before I even talk about the factors of Florida A&M, leaving the MEAC to join the SWAC, which there's a lot of positivity there. And by the way, um, Florida A&M is is receiving a lot of positive feedback from this move opposed to North Carolina A&T, where I saw a lot, what I saw was a lot of people that were either in the middle, uh, we'll wait and see type of thing, or were really opposed to it. But even before that, I mean, where does the MEAC stand right now? So, uh, it, it's a tough, it's tough going for the MEAC. We had the commissioner of the MEAC on Dr. Dennis Thomas back in March. And I asked him uh, point blank. Did he think that any other schools would defect uh, from the MEAC? And this is what he had to say, basically saying that the, the schools that were there, which I mean, obviously still includes a t at this moment were united, but uh, is there any concern that uh, eventually other schools uh, may leave the MiAC.
3: Well, it's, it's a fluid situation, but I think that our press release clearly indicated that um, the current presidents and chancellors are committed to the Mideastern Athletic Conference uh, for, the, for the near future. And I don't think uh, the President of the Chancellor would have made a statement like that if they were not uh, committed and wanted to convey that to the public as well, to their alumni, and to their fan base and student athletes and others.
1: And that, of course, was Dr. Dennis Thomas back in March. Um, you know, it seemed like in the and once a and t left, the Miac released a statement in essence saying that the Miac institutions were strong, um, everything was good. A and T they didn't. It was no knock against A and uh, T, as the Miac uh, pointed out, uh, felt like, uh, hey, if that's the best move for you, then uh, by all means make that move. But now you're starting to see a situation where things could get tough for the Miac. I mean. And I made mention of this. You you look at the MIAC, and you look at where the MEAC was going back to maybe, let's say, even 2000 from the period of 2004 uh, until about 2011. You had the addition of three schools, Winston-Salem State, North Carolina Central, and Savannah State, who both came in at the same time. Ultimately, Winston-Salem State decided, I. Ah, Division one isn't for us. I, 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 You know, the reason that if memory serves me well is Winston-Salem State left because they had some, it, w- it was something with one of the non-revenue sports where they had some kind of infraction and ultimately they would have had to wait another year to then therefore join, uh, the MEAC joined the division one ranks and uh, the, the Winston-Salem State said, nah, we've had enough of this and decided to go back um, to division 2 and the CIAA North Carolina Central Savannah State came in so even though you lose Winston-Salem State because I think what the MEAC was trying to do was trying to make the conference uh division like and then have a football championship uh, and but with Winston-Salem State's uh, loss and move back that that hurt I mean that that definitely hurt the MEAC but the MEAC was still in a good position then ultimately what do you have happen first Hampton decides it's going to leave the MiAC to join uh, the Big South Conference then you had a situation where Savannah State said we just can't do this anymore we're going to leave and go back to Division 2 and then of course in February you have North Carolina A&T making the move so in a in a span and we won't even count Winston-Salem state, because even after Winston-Salem state left, you still, you know, you still, it it was still viable in terms of where the MEAC was at that point with the additions of both uh, North Carolina central and Savannah state. But if you look at this within a uh, really a three year period, you have four schools that are now leaving the MIAC. That is devastating. I think what the MIAC has to do for this upcoming season, because I think even with, and it's hard because you're two, you're two schools with the maybe perhaps the best fan bases uh, in terms of also not just the best fan bases, uh, 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 but also fan bases that travel. Like when Hampton left, eh, okay, uh, Hampton left, uh, it, it hurt. But in terms of the support, you didn't really see that at Hampton. You didn't see that even at home games. You certainly did not see that on the road. But when you're talking about a North Carolina A&T leaving, probably I would say of all the schools in the MEAC, North Carolina A&T probably travels the best. When you look at home games, Florida A&M has a situation, even though Norfolk state has the 30,000 seat stadium, they're never going to, they, 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 they at least recently haven't gotten anywhere close to that. Whereas if you look at Florida A&M, 25,000 seats at Bragg stadium, you can fill those 25,000 seats. Look at uh, what Southern was able to do. And and one of the telling things was that this year, the revenue generated from, um, especially with the addition of the Southern game, where Southern came to Florida A and M, something like you know FAMU made like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year off of the the gate receipts, just off of ticket sales this year. Whereas in years past, they've made like seventy five thousand dollars just off of the, and if you you know that's of course including. The more so the MEAC schools. And then, of course, you know, you, you go back a couple of years where Florida AM brought in Fort Valley State and and and, and going to bring in some um, some schools to try to generate some of that interest. But nowhere near what uh, Southern was able to bring to the table. But where does the MEAC stand? Where does the MEAC go from here? Well, the MEAC is definitely going to have to show and prove, I think, for this 2020 season with the schools that are still remaining in the MiAC, because you have sponsors that are looking at this. Sponsors are wondering, well, why are your two bigger schools leaving the MiAC? What does that do for the television package that the MiAC has uh, with ESPN? I think that if you can show that with the schools that you have that are still in place, that hopefully these schools will come out and support the respective universities a little bit more than maybe because remember the celebration bowl uh, contract is up for renewal. Uh you know, will ESPN renew ultimately with the MIAC with the loss of now North Carolina ANT and Florida AM? That's m yeah, I don't think I don't really think I don't know, but I don't I don't think that's as big a deal uh because ultimately when you watch these Thursday night games and I'm talking more specifically about the Thursday night games, a lot of times the uh, you don't have a lot of um, uh, people in the stands anyway, but I think what ESPN is looking more so for, and which is why the two uh, deals that they have uh, to show those Thursday night games is with, you know, the MEAC and the SWAC. They're, they're sort of looking at, okay, you know, that, that HBCU legacy deal, um, and uh, you know what the HBCUs can bring to the table. People are going to watch those games more so than they would watch other games in FCS conferences. But man, I mean, this is definitely a tough blow for the MIAC. The question is, will the MIAC be able to survive this? Um, I think ultimately it can. But you know, if you're talking about other schools that are going to be that, that could leave then the MEAC has a serious problem because at the end of the day there you haven't the MEAC has not recruited a school to come to the MEAC since 2008 when provisionally North Carolina Central and Savannah State were accepted to the conference now the positives for Florida A&M you know I already mentioned from a money perspective i mean and much like what we talked about and what a t said in terms of travel lessens the travel that Florida A&M has to now go to the various schools. I mean, that Florida A&M to Delaware state trip. I mean, that that has to be a killer. That's the furthest school, Delaware State, from Florida A&M. So the travel is lessened. Um, I read in the report where it would save florida a&m about f- almost a half a million dollars a year in travel so that's a that's a plus um remember florida a&m was once a member of the siac so uh, and there a lot of the schools that are in the SWAC now were once members of the siac so really you have some of those traditions, those traditional rivalries. I mean, you got to figure that that Florida A&M Southern game is going to be big. I mean, they used to play that in the Atlanta Classic when they would get 50,000. You know, the Jackson State, I mean, you talk about Jackson State and Florida uh, A&M, I don't know if it seems like it would be a rivalry, but you're talking about if Jackson State were to play at Florida A&M, you're talking about a packed Bragg Stadium because, you know, it's not that great a distance from Jackson to Tallahassee. So you have some of those rivalries that come back, and it's 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 a money thing at the end of the day. And let's look at the history of Florida AM. Florida A&M, remember, Florida a Division I AA Championship, the first year of Division I AA, came as an independent school. Florida a was not yet a member of the MEAC. Florida a joined the MEAC, in 1980, left three years later, rejoined the MIAC in 1987. Then, remember, in 2004, left the MIAC to try to explore going uh, FBS or at that time, Division 1A. Didn't work out. Ultimately, came back to the MIAC. So, I think that Florida AMS has always had ambitions to do something else. Uh, because now Florida a is leaving. But I think, you know, again, I think uh, when you look at this and, and, and again, I have to go back and ask, like I asked the question when A&T left is what's up with the MiAC? Why are schools looking to leave the MiAC? You can look at A&T and say, OK, this is the reason uh, student athlete welfare travel is saved, particularly on the non-revenue sports. Florida a and now leaves. You can look at, okay, we're saving close to a half a million dollars a year in travel, natural rivalries, more money. Um, you can definitely look at those things. But is there something else that we need to be looking at that perhaps the MEAC isn't doing? This is a big blow to the MEAC. Uh, I think ultimately, uh, however, the MEAC, 2020, obviously it's going to be a big, big year for the MIAC, I think if the MIAC can show that, uh, yeah, we've lost two big-time schools, um, but but we're doing some things. They're going to have to definitely do some things differently at the MIAC to show sponsors, uh, to show uh, to show TV networks, uh, maybe more specifically ESPN, that hey, the conference is still viable, even though you know, and it's not because it's something we're doing that. A&T and Florida A&M have both left. Uh, you know, your thoughts. I, I got to get ready to rum. I want to hear your thoughts on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. I'm out of here. Don't forget, actually, uh, I'm going to make this announcement that beginning on June the 18th, the HBCU Football Daily Podcast is Will be back, is back June 18th. The HBCU Football Daily Podcast is back, so you can check that out online at boxtorow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. We got to fight the powers that be. Fight the power.
0: Fight the power. 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 We got to fight the power that be. As
3: the rhythm's assigned, I bounce with Calcio's death alive.